Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I'm sitting in a small jail cell. The cell is just a big cage in the back of the police station, like I'm in a western. There's no walls separating the spaces and I'm on the same old carpeting like the officers would be. There's no one here, though. And the place is a mess. The desks have been flipped. There's paperwork all over the floors. There's food and empty big gulps everywhere. It's disgusting. When the two officers brought me in, they acted like they owned the place. I think they do, actually. I think they run this precinct, or whatever it's called, together. Just the two of them. This station is their trash can. I've been thrown in the trash and left here for at least eight hours now. All night long. There was a plastic bottle filled with water when I got here, and some old sandwiches. So I'm not hungry or thirsty. I'm cold though. Shivering level cold. I have no shirt or shoes, so I'm only wearing jeans those are still pretty wet from washing them back at the motel. An hour or so ago, I started pacing to try and fight the cold. I'm afraid I'll be the only living thing in the desert with pneumonia if I don't find a way to warm my body. calling for someone. Maybe there's people in another room, in another part of the station that I can't see. But the only thing I accomplish is scaring off rodents. A bunch of hamburger wrappers on the other side of the room start moving. A mouse or a small rat runs across the red carpet and slips underneath a stack of files labeled missing persons. Someone drew a bunch of smiley faces on the pictures of missing children. Another rapper moves, 
and another mouse flees towards the files. I can see the BBU logo on that second one. I wonder if Mr. Crow replaced me. I wonder if he found a new sleeper to waste away. Hey, sleeper, wake up. Come on, don't make me yell. Just wake up. Somehow I dozed off. I don't know how it's possible. I'm half naked. This bed is really small and hard. It's more a piece of floorboard fixed to the wall than a bed, actually. But I fell asleep. And while sleeping, I can hear the waitress. Even in my dream, it's cold. I can feel my bones aching. And I hear her voice. Sleeper, wake up! I sit up straight and open my eyes. The sun is up. The police station is bathed in light now. Everything's orange. The extent of the mess is visible. There's black mold on all of the walls and parts of the furniture. The floor is almost completely covered in junk. There's insects floating in the orange light. In the middle of all the chaos stands the waitress that introduced me to the gardener. She's standing there exactly the same way she was while talking me into becoming a criminal, holding her cigarette next to her face, staring at me as if I'm the most boring human to ever interact with another one. You got yourself in some deep trouble, sleeper. You must be pretty stupid making a deal with the gardener and then alerting a police officer halfway through the assignment. I don't know what to say. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm cold and trying really, really hard not to fantasize about getting on a bus back to Corvat. Back to my sleeper station. I mean, THE sleeper station. Listen, I talked to the gardener and explained to him what happened to you. And he's willing to help you out. He's got me exactly where he wants me. Like I counted on something like this to happen. Or maybe he was just indifferent to the outcome. If I would have done nothing, the drug deal would have gone through. But if I make a mistake, like I did, he could pressure me into taking another job. It's all the same to him. He agreed to help you, but only if you take another job. See, that's what I thought. Kim and Naraka City seem an impossibly long road away from me. An endless road. I should have made it out of the desert by now. Instead, I'm caught up with some drug lord and his corrupt devil cops. I ask her what the job is. There's a new car waiting for you, which will drive you into the next town, Protus. It's not that far, two hours tops. And when you get there, the gardener wants you to find someone. A man named Jonathan. He runs the 7-Eleven, you can't miss it. I'll give you a number you can call once you find him. Wait for a clicking sound on the other side of the line and then just say where Jonathan is, if he's still in town and at what building he's hiding. After that, you're free to go. You can keep the car if you want. I tell her I won't do it. I don't even hesitate, not for a second. And I don't even ask what this guy did or what they want with him. I know in my gut that it's bad. I know they're gonna hurt him, and I don't wanna be a part of it. The gardener lent him some money. He wants it back, that's all. I tell her I'll stay in the cell. (sighs) Don't be silly, sleeper. Have you seen the two cops that run this place? 
They will make your life hell. To them, you're a toy made out of flesh. Let me help you, please. This Jonathan guy is a horrible person. He's not your problem. He's a junkie, and he sold drugs to kids, and he steals from the elderly, and he's whatever else I have to tell you to make you feel better. I shake my head and tell her I'm sorry. I can't do it. Come on, man. I came all the way out here. This kind of stuff will happen with or without you. It's just how the world works. And besides, you carry the mark. You're one of us now. So there is no other escape. I ask her how she justifies doing stuff like this to herself. And she takes a long drag from her cigarette. You are only one cell sleeper within an enormous body. Do your part to make the body thrive. That's your job. Not to concern yourself with what the body is trying to accomplish. There are forces at play here, beyond whatever you can imagine. Hell, even the gardener is only a body part, you know? It's not a question of doing good or bad for you. It's a question of not dying. I tell her no, as she shakes her head, turns around and finds her way to the door without stepping in anything gooey looking. While she walks away, she tells me to start screaming if I change my mind. After she closes the door, I'm standing there in the cell, alone, looking at the garbage disposal that used to be a police station, and I'm proud of myself. He has an eye like Sauron. And the mark is like the one ring. So he can see you wherever you go. Yeah, so I took the deal. But not to find the guy Jonathan. I didn't give in. I really didn't. I mean, that cell started shrinking. The bars started crawling towards me from all sides. I'm, I'm weak, I know. But on the other hand, what choice did I have? I shouted and the waitress came back. And I said I would look for this Jonathan guy. But I mean, I won't. I'm just getting out of here. They gave me this car and now I'm just making a run for it. I was just gonna drive until I got too tired. The waitress gave me one final warning before I drove off. She said that he could see me, the gardener. He has an eye like Sauron, she said, and you carry the mark, so he can see you wherever you go. My car stopped, of course it did. It didn't really break down, the engine still works. It's more like the wheels got stuck. Three or four miles back, my tires started making a weird noise. Like something was stuck in the, whatever it's called that holds the wheels to the rest of the car. But I ignored it because I was really close to a small town and I didn't feel like stopping in the middle of nowhere. I was afraid it wouldn't start and I'd be stuck in the desert. I wanted to make it to a motel or whatever to a place I could stay while I found help. 
At least I'm in the town center. Or the one street with some local shops and a couple of restaurants. I get out of the car to check on my tires. It's nice outside. Now that I'm leaving the desert behind, it's a bit more humid. A little bit. There's brownish grass growing on the roadside. There's even a tree here and there. I can hear birds. It feels like I'm headed in the right direction, towards life. But there's also something green on the tarmac, right next to my shoes. Oh, yeah, I have shoes again. The waitress drove me back to the hotel where I got arrested, so I've got my clothes back. I'm in full BBU uniform again. Isn't that great? Anyway, there's something on the street, some kind of green jello looking stuff. I feel like I shouldn't touch it. And it's all over the car. It's like I drove through a huge puddle of this jello. There's green splatter all over the doors. My wheels are completely covered in it. Is this what wrecked the car? Is this why my wheels stopped turning? I'm walking to find a service station or some help, but this town is very, very quiet. I haven't seen a soul since I drove in here about 20 minutes ago. The longer I walk, the more of that green slime I see. It's splattered against the walls. It's covering windows. It's everywhere. I don't believe it. I'm in Protus, the town they wanted me to go look for this guy. It says right there, Protus Hardware Store. How is this possible? I wanted to get away and my car breaks down in the one town they wanted me to go? Did they plan for this to happen? Was it all supposed to go his way in the grand scheme of things, as the waitress called it? Okay, so now I just have to avoid finding anyone named Jonathan, and I have to get the car going. But this place seems to be completely deserted. I found other life forms finally, other humans. There's four white vans that also got stuck in the slime. Half a dozen guys standing there, staring at the green stuff. I walk up to them, and they tell me they can't figure out how to dissolve it, or make it more fluid. They tried water, but it didn't help. And they have some chemicals with them, like really aggressive stuff. One of them damaged their car using it. The chemicals started eating into the rims. But the slime didn't even flinch. When this older guy opens the back of his van, I see they have these suits with them. The ones you see in movies when some dangerous virus gets out. You know, these white hazard suits, or whatever they're called. Hazmat suits. And a lot of gas masks. So I ask him where they were headed. And he says they needed to get to Corvat quickly. There's some kind of mold spreading that needs to be stopped. They say it releases fumes when it comes into direct contact with sunlight and now there's poisonous clouds all over the town surrounding Corvat. People have to stay inside and close their windows. They have to stop it before it spreads more. Immediately, I think of the gray house, the one I got trapped in while fleeing from Mr. Crow. But for some reason, I don't tell them anything about it. I'm not sure why. 
even though it sounds very dangerous, the cloud of poisonous mold gas, to me it seems like a good thing. There's a kind of wall between me and Corvat now. I want there to be a wall, so I won't be able to give in to the temptation to turn back. The waitress talked about me being a cell in a huge body, about forces bigger than anything I can imagine at play. Well, it seems those forces are keeping me out of my hometown. Thanks, forces greater than me. I could use a little help. Some money in a new car would be great too if you have a second. You aren't going anywhere anytime soon, my friend. I made it to a service station, but there was no one there. After filling a plastic cup I found with water from a hose, I started walking back. Ran into this random guy. Yeah, I live here, but uh, I'm the only one left. Literally. The rest gave up after the festival. I ask him what he means. You haven't heard? Most people your age try to catch up to the festival. The, the music festival. You're not going there? I remember that night, lying between the tall grass behind the gray house waiting for Mr. Crow to leave. There were searchlights on the horizon. I could hear music. The festival travels to whichever town allows it. It'll settle for a couple of nights and bring lots of business for the locals. Lots of young folk visiting your shops, getting a bite to eat, filling up their car, that kind of stuff. So most towns are happy when they hear the festival's coming. But that thing is a leech, an enormous tick that sinks its teeth into a town and sucks it dry. I mean, look at this place. Everybody made a lot of money over the weekend. But after that, they all left. Town wasn't the same. We tried cleaning up, you know, but one by one, everybody gave up and just drove off. I'm the only one still scrubbing away, trying to dig up the place we once lived in. The man is friendly looking. His eyes are soft and inviting. He tells me he'll help me to try and get my car going, walks back up the road with me. While we pass the white vans with the hazmat suit people, he tells me something disturbing. I don't mean to pry, my friend, but I can't help but notice that BBU logo on your shirt. You work for that burger place? I tell him I used to. There was a man in town the other day looking for someone that stole his car. He was looking for a 30-something Corvette born, dressed like a BBU employee. The man was pretty desperate to find him. To find you. I don't know what to say. Mostly I'm shocked that Mr. Crow still hasn't come back to Corvette. He has his car back, right? What is he still hoping to gain by finding me? And also, I thought I'd left distance between us. I thought I'd run from him. But apparently he's close. What's your name? I tell him people call me Robert. That's a lie, obviously. I'm not sure where that name came from. While we get to my car and the man inspects the wheels, I ask him what his name is. I'm Jonathan. Nice to meet you, Robert. Now let's try to get you back on the road, shall we? His name is Jonathan? You couldn't make this stuff up. Not only does my car break down in the one town I wanted to avoid, but also, it turns out, there's only one human left in the place, and it's the guy I'm supposed to give up. Thank you, forces greater than me, for finding new ways every day to back me into a corner. 
Thank you very, very, very much. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.